You're listening to Group, a podcast about mental illness and mental health. This is the show for the stressed out. Everything hurts and I'm dying. The depressives. I let everybody down. Everybody hates me. And the folks feeling a little anxious. Anxious? Yeah, it's my cute way of saying anxious so you don't think I'm being judgy. To the people who are going through a rough time, we get it. We've been there. I'm extremely codependent. I shatter a little bit when I think people don't like me. Our goal is to tell your stories, to make you laugh, and to give you an audio hug through your earbuds. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas, your resident anxious person. So we don't have any co-hosts today. It's just going to be me. But I have a lot of different voices and stories to share with you. So don't worry, you don't just like have to listen to me blab this whole time. Group today is about a relatively new trend in the world of psychotherapy. I see the ads everywhere for online therapy. There's BetterHelp. Uh, the ad that I usually see for them is on Facebook. And it's this illustration of this very good looking crying woman with uh, great hair and green lipstick. And it says, uh, time to break the cycle. So I keep seeing that one coming up in my feed. And then there's Talkspace, uh, which is another platform for online therapy. I've been seeing these ads that say things like, swipe left to start feeling happier. So there's a lot of online therapy platforms out there. Things like Lantern, Seven Cups, iCouch, a ton of different places. But today we're going to be focusing on two of the biggies that um, I just mentioned, BetterHelp and Talkspace. So both BetterHelp and Talkspace offer different levels of online therapy packages uh, with more expensive packages, including video chat options. But um, we're just going to be focused on text therapy, which is sort of the bread and butter of these platforms, the, the basic package. So that's where you're paired with a counselor through the platform and then the way that you receive treatment is you text with them through either the website or the app. So coming up, we have representatives from BetterHelp and Talkspace, as well as folks who have just, you know, used the apps to get counseling and try and feel better. Across the board, these folks are excited about the potential that these platforms have to help people. You know, with online therapy, I could do it on my own time. And I didn't have to necessarily sit down and block, carve out an hour to to kind of go to somebody's office and sit there and tell them all of the things. It was, I really liked the idea that there could be a different way to do it. But there's also quite a bit of concern about the quality of treatment that these platforms offer. You and I could find every snake oil cure known to man. We'll have one or two people saying it transformed my life. Um, okay, so if you want to be part of this discussion, it's not too late. Uh, shoot me a message about your experience with text therapy. You can email me at Rebecca at grouppodcast.com. If I get some responses, I'll read them on an upcoming show. One last thing before we really get started. If you like the show and you want to help it continue to be a show, uh, one of the easy ways to help us is to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. If you're a regular listener, I would really appreciate it. So uh, subscribe, rate, review. Great. Let's get to it. Um, I'm Katie Davis. I am a child psychologist. I have a private practice on the Upper East Side, and I see mostly teenagers who have some school-related issues, ADD, learning disabilities, and some anxiety and depression. 
Dr. Katie Davis reached out to me in response to a request I put out for therapists who had experience doing text therapy for online counseling platforms. So she's actually never worked as an online counselor, but she has been on the other side of things. I just recently got married. So about a year ago, I got engaged and I picked up a research position, started my own practice and bought an apartment and we're moving. So all of those things happening within like a few months was totally overwhelming to me and also really busy. Like everything was so time consuming and stressful. And I knew that I wanted to be in therapy, but the thought of like fitting in another appointment every week and spending more money just really felt also overwhelming to me. So I saw Talkspace advertised and I figured, why not give it a shot? Frankly, I went into it feeling very cynical. I see teenagers who love to do like FaceTime sessions and I do some version of online stuff to supplement my face-to-face therapy with the kids I work with. And I don't think it's that great. Like when they want to do a FaceTime session, instead of coming to my office, I really strongly discourage it. I don't think it's a good use of 45 minutes. Like I think that the hour's kind of wasted. They're distracted. They're doing other things. If I have them in the room, they are forced to really focus on whatever we're doing. When they're out doing whatever they're doing on their own and we're just on the phone or we're FaceTiming or what they could be doing 8,000 other things at the same time. And they do. So anyway, when I went to start my own online therapy, I didn't have high hopes, but I figured it was better than nothing. I wanted somebody to talk to who would be objective and it would be confidential. And so I started Talkspace. The cost was really great. The price is unbeatable. I don't think I could find somebody good to do a single session for that price. Can you tell me about the process of getting matched with a therapist who, who right. met your needs? So I think I emailed you about this. I signed up and they went through the whole like intake process. And the woman asked me what was going on. And I told her essentially what I told you about. I was getting married, trying to move, starting a new job, just stressed about general life transitions. At the time, I was having like no major psychopathology. I mean, I was anxious. I was having like some trouble sleeping, but I didn't feel depressed. I didn't feel like I wasn't able to fulfill my responsibilities, but it was stressful and I wanted to take care of it before it escalated. And I explained this. And I also said that I wanted to be matched with somebody who was psychodynamic. As a therapist, I think I have a pretty good repertoire of CBT coping skills that I could sort of activate for myself at any given time. I mean, I just wanted somebody to help me process. Okay, so I just want to jump in quickly and explain uh, psychodynamic therapy versus CBT. Psychodynamic is is sort of like uh, talking through why you do the things you do, uh, why you're feeling the things you're feeling, sort of like uh, what's unconsciously driving you. So you have a conversation with your therapist about your thoughts and feelings and sort of try and get, try and understand like what's going on beneath the surface. This is what Katie wanted. CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy is more learning specific tools to help you deal with negative thoughts or behaviors. There's also DBT, or dialectical behavioral therapy. Katie's going to reference that in a second. DBT is based on CBT, but there's more of a focus on stabilizing your emotions. So often DBT is used to treat folks with personality disorders. 
but but it can be used for other things as well. Oh, and I told them I was a psychologist. So I was hoping that they would also match me with a psychologist. I, I think I actually specifically requested a psychologist. The first three people that they matched me with were licensed marriage and family therapists who said that they specialized in DBT, which I was kind of surprised about. My reason for referral had nothing at all to do with DBT. It was so wildly inappropriate, I thought, for what I was bringing to the table that I was sort of shocked that that's who they thought would be the best match. Yeah, it's just interesting because you would specifically request a psychologist who did psychodynamic therapy, and they, it seems like they didn't address either of those right. things. So off the mark that it felt random. Like they, The conversation that I had with the intake coordinator just was totally ignored. I, I pushed back against all those referrals. I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. No, that doesn't sound right. Can you please match me with this sort of person? And eventually they found me a psychologist who I then did my own like Google vetting and he seemed totally legit. I think he has his own practice here in New York and has this as like a side hustle. So then I was fine with who I was matched with and I'd move forward with Talkspace. So what was, what was the therapist like that this guy that you ultimately selected? I don't know, which I guess is part of the problem. He said he did psychodynamic work. Most of his actual input was more CBT coping strategy sort of based. Like, oh, why don't you keep a journal next to your bed when you can't sleep? Just like jot down some notes about why you can't sleep. Other than that, I felt like I was kind of pouring out my soul and like pages long text messages. And I got back like a one line question once a day. So I don't, I don't really know what he was like. It's, it was almost like a really super extreme version of like Freudian psychoanalysis. Like he was as blank slate as you could possibly get. I felt like I, I was sitting on a couch talking, 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 and he was literally saying nothing because in reality, that was what was happening. Like I just wasn't getting a response. So as a therapist yourself, what was your perception or assessment of this guy's clinical approach with you? I don't really know, but I just didn't feel like he was invested in the case. I don't think he's a bad therapist. I just am not sure that the platform is so conducive to being a good therapist. Did you ever like ask him for more or like ask him, hey, this is a little bit weird. Like I'm writing, I'm pouring my soul out here and I feel like I'm not getting enough back from you. Well, it didn't because it was sort of presented to me upfront that that would be how it would be. I was never sold a bag of goods that I didn't get. They said, you could expect to have one response from your therapist every day. And that's literally what I got. I got one response from my therapist every day, which was usually in the form of a question. So no, I didn't push it. I guess I could have. I'm in an interesting position because I feel funny as a psychologist critiquing my own psychologist's work. Uh, so did you cancel after the month was up? I gave it a shot for like five months. I used it a lot at the beginning. And actually I liked I didn't like having a therapist on the other end necessarily, but I did like having a space where I could write out my thoughts. And I really liked also going back to reread what I had said earlier in the conversation. I thought that was really interesting. And I did think it was helpful in a similar way to like journaling being helpful, but it was on my phone and it was more convenient and I had no risk of anybody ever picking it up and reading it behind my back. So I did think it was helpful in that way. I started to use it less and less as time went by and then eventually it canceled after 
I think five months. And this is so lame and I feel kind of bad about it, but I didn't even terminate. Like I just canceled. I didn't even tell the guy that I was leaving. I just left, which in person, when I terminated therapy with my in-person therapist, I would have never done that. I mean, I was crippled with guilt terminating with her. This, I was just like, yeah, cancel it. It's not going to be on my credit card bill anymore. If somebody that you were close with said, hey, I'm going through some stuff, you know, I'm looking for a relatively inexpensive option to think through some things, thinking about doing um, talk space or better help, uh, what would your advice to, to them be? My advice would be if they are actually having a serious mental health issue. Like if there was something going on in their lives at that particular time, that was actually a lot to deal with, then no talk space would not be a good idea. If they just wanted some maintenance or they wanted to get some stuff off their chest or just chat with somebody or we're generally feeling okay, but everybody has stuff that they want to work on. That's the sort of person I would say, sure, go ahead. So I, I didn't hate it. Um, but if I, It wasn't therapy, I guess, is my point. So Talkspace wasn't Katie's ideal online therapy experience, obviously. I want to make it clear, I I referenced this in the beginning of the show, but there are additional options available if you don't just want to text. So they, they have video chat options and things like that. I asked Katie if she would ever consider doing one of those options, and she actually, she told me that she... She didn't think it was worth it to spend the additional money to get that package. In that case, she would have just paid for an in-person therapist. But she said she did Talkspace for five months, which is longer than the average client. Most people seem to do it for about three months. Again, the most concerning thing for her seemed to be those first few counselors that she was matched with, which, like she said, was not what she was looking for. So I wanted to speak with somebody who was familiar with how the matching process works at Talkspace to sort of get a sense of how it how it works and what's going on. Um, so I spoke with Thomas Derek Hull, who's the VP of Clinical Research and Development at the platform. If, you know, an individual signs up for Talkspace, how are they matched with a therapist who might best fit their needs? So when they first come in, there's a couple different ways that folks can get access to Talkspace. The most common way is through what we call a consultation therapist. So if somebody goes to Talkspace, say, right now, they could go to the website and there's a consultation therapist that's there that can answer questions, get a sense of what's going on for them based on the responses to those questions and their preferences for a therapist that's put into this matching algorithm that we've developed. We respect the client's preferences. And then we also try to find a match between the therapist's therapeutic orientation and the presenting issue of the client. The matching process is is pretty similar at Talkspace and BetterHelp. In the United States, you're matched by state. I'm in New York State, so I would have to be matched with a counselor who's also in New York State. So what he said just then about trying to match the issue of a client with the therapist's therapeutic orientation, that's um, trying to pair whatever issue you're dealing with mental health-wise with a counselor who practices a a type of therapy that would address that issue well. So again, I talked before about how DBT is usually used for personality disorders. So so that would be a good match there. Yeah, so this was Katie's complaint. She really didn't feel like Talkspace did a good job with this. Most people going into therapy aren't as informed about the specifics of what they want. I mean, I didn't confirm this, but I'm guessing that it's pretty rare to have someone directly request the type of therapy they'd like and, you know, the therapist's degree. 
and, you know, don't know the differences between a licensed mental health counselor or a psychologist or a social worker. But yeah, I mean, Katie did, and she wanted something particular, and that's not what she initially got. Both representatives from Talkspace and BetterHelp told me that it's relatively uncommon for folks to request a new match. They usually stick with the therapist that they're given. A rep from Talkspace told me that therapists have an average of 25 to 35 clients with a max of 50. Uh, BetterHelp doesn't cap the number of clients that a therapist has, as long as they're sort of keeping up with everyone and there's no complaints from the client. Okay, so let's go back to Derek again, the Talkspace VP. Many people who come to Talkspace, this is their very first time ever coming into therapy. Some 50% of the individuals who sign up report to us that they would never seek psychotherapy face-to-face. And so Talkspace is really their only connection um, to therapy. And a good chunk, a majority, I think some 70, 75% of our users uh, have never been in therapy before. So, you know, their willingness to try the medium and have the medium work for them has also been, uh, I think, a very pleasant surprise. So according to Talkspace, they're reaching this entire new demographic of people who might not otherwise seek help from a therapist. I asked Derek what he sees as some of the major draws, like why these new clients are seeking out this specific form of psychotherapy. So conducting psychotherapy through text could be a promising way to overcome some of the barriers that most people have when they're trying to take advantage of therapy. Things like scheduling, transportation costs, work commitments, being unable to find a qualified provider nearby if they live in a rural area, especially. Even just the stigma of walking into the office, although stigma is starting to come down, I think, in recent years around psychotherapy, thankfully. Yeah, so when I spoke with Derek on the phone, he said he was working with a provider in New Mexico and trying to connect folks in rural communities there with Talkspace, folks who would have little access to therapy otherwise. I asked him what sort of mental health issues folks usually join Talkspace to get help with. The things that people present to Talkspace with are fairly similar to the things individuals will present to, say, outpatient psychotherapy with. So the so-called common disorders like depression and anxiety. Depression and anxiety are by far our number one presenting issue at Talkspace, number one and two with anxiety maybe edging out depression just a little bit. And then a close third are folks who are presenting with relational troubles with a spouse or a partner, with a child, um, or relational you know, troubles in general um, are a big one. So that's the third area. And then you know the list, there's sort of a long tail list down the line. Sometimes we'll have individuals who um, you know, settle on a personality disorder diagnosis, We have some folks on with OCD, substance abuse, you know, some of those other areas. But depression, anxiety, and relationships are by far the, I would say at least 75 to 80 percent of our users fall under depression, anxiety, or, you know, a relationship challenge of some kind. I think... We all can agree on this is a very exciting new way to deliver mental health care services. The clear advantage, I think, is this is something that is accessible to many people, especially as more and more people have smartphones. It will soon hopefully be ubiquitous. This is Dr. John Toros. He's the co-director of the Digital Psychiatry Program at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, which is a teaching hospital associated with 
Harvard Medical School. He also has a bunch of other impressive titles, but basically he spends a lot of time studying digital mental health. What we've seen is just kind of this push that we're excited about this new way. It's a new way to deliver therapy. It's a new way to increase access to care. This is going to be something big, but I don't think it means that we should kind of give people false hope or kind of give people false expectations. Perhaps the more frightening thing is I think people who have a business in this, people who have a commercial stake, are very excited and vocal, which makes sense. But when you actually sit down and say, what is the evidence this works? You're telling people often to pay you money for a subscription model, to Mm -hmm. give up their time, to do something, to do your program instead of something else. Is it really working? I I think that's the question you want to ask at the end of the day. And you can always find an anecdote in a story of one or two people who it worked for. You and I could find every snake oil cure known to man. We'll have one or two people saying it transformed my life. So I think the burden of proof is on these companies to say, hey, we made this, we tested it. Here's not only why it works, here's how it is safe. And I think a lot of times we haven't seen that. We've seen that a, com- a push to kind of commercialize it, perhaps even to overhype it, to kind of promise people more than they can expect. Perhaps this is what happens in all fields as things evolve. There's a lot of excitement, there's a large commercial push, but I think then we have to start addressing the hard questions too. So have you seen any convincing research that demonstrates that these text therapy apps are working, are objectively improving, you know, uh, patients' mental health? There's some anecdotal evidence from some people. There have been some very small pilot studies that have looked at it, but we haven't kind of seen the type of evidence that you and I would want to see to recommend this to a family member. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen kind of the same scrutiny that other treatments go through to prove that they work, the other therapies go through to prove they work. This one, we haven't yet seen that evidence. So I think a lot of times the statistics that we kind of hear about how these programs work, we're not getting the full story because we're getting, well, it's been downloaded this many times. But if it's been used 10 times, what does that mean in terms of symptom improvement? And if people feel better right after using the app, that's good. But what is the long-term symptom improvement? There's not a whole lot of research out there in academia to support or argue against online counseling either. relatively new in the world of mental health and the world of healthcare. This is Hesu Joe. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist in the Bay Area. She's now a counselor for BetterHelp, and she also works for the platform as a community support manager. It's not perfect. It's great for some people. It doesn't work out for all. Some people don't really like this format of messaging back and forth. So as great as this is, I do want to just acknowledge that this isn't for everybody. I asked her why she joined BetterHelp. I had been working in the nonprofit sector, the government-subsidized mental health clinics, for quite some time before I made this switch over to BetterHelp. And during that time, I really loved the direct services I was providing. I loved the community I was working in. But there were some systemic things about mental health and the way that it's being currently provided through insurance providers, government subsidy, all that kind of stuff, that I was getting a little bit frustrated with, a lot of bureaucracy, red tape. So I was looking for something where I could continue to bring my skill set education experience as a therapist to people making it accessible and BetterHelp offered all of that, something completely different, something that's current, relevant, 
more of a practical application for the 21st century than where I previously was, especially living in Silicon Valley, being surrounded by tech. I was getting frustrated that the field of mental health is so behind when we have all these wonderful advances in technology to make services more accessible, more streamlined, efficient, better. We've talked before on the show about how it's really hard to find a good, affordable therapist, especially when you're struggling. It's also frustrating from the therapist's perspective uh, if they want to make their services accessible and affordable to the public because of how complicated and time-consuming it is to work with insurance companies, all the red tape that Hesu was referring to. So um, here comes a platform offering inexpensive, accessible counseling. I asked her, given her experience, like who tends to do best on this platform? Both BetterHelp and Talkspace are definitely marketed to folks with anxiety and depression. And I think about like the times when my depression was really bad. There's no way I, I would be messaging a, a therapist on a daily basis. Like it, it was difficult for me to even like get out of bed and brush my teeth. So I wasn't going to be motivated to like write out everything that was going on with me in my brain in like a eloquent, informative way where like a therapist could like do something constructive with that and, and help me, especially not on a, on a daily basis. I was just like too tired so I was wondering if there are like certain personality types that might be like predisposed to do well on platforms like this. I can certainly share some thoughts just based on my observations and my feelings in terms of the day-to-day tasks that I do. But in essence, what you said is very true. People that are self-motivated, that are coming here with a plan of action, some kind of goal that they want to achieve in therapy, they do very well with this kind of format. There's a lot of self-accountability required on the client's end to keep this process going because the clients themselves have the power to book their sessions. The clients are the ones that need to log in and read messages, respond to them. So I do think that this format of therapy can be quite difficult if you are struggling with major depression Mm -hmm. because you have to be motivated to get things going, to book those sessions, Mm -hmm. to get up and do those things. Uh However, we've seen a lot of people with depression do really well in this platform also. There's other things to consider, like for text-based therapy, this communication is happening through messages, through written language. So if English isn't your first language, or if you have a hard time expressing yourself through written language, what I do see is some difficulties in managing some more complicated process that might be going on internally for a client. Um, So those are some things to consider, like condition or disorder aside just being able to express yourself in written language and also being able to read what your counselor is saying. It takes some kind of skill too, because sometimes we do see messages that may be being misinterpreted by either the client or the counselor. And, you know, the counselors are real live humans, just like you and me. So sometimes, like I said, there can be miscommunications in text. So being patient with that kind of thing and being able to work through that with your counselor is a whole different kind of process. It can be very rewarding if Um, you're able to get through whatever the miscommunication may have been. It's easy for me to imagine how a miscommunication like the one Hesu is referring to could work. Like, even if you have excellent mastery of English and are great at expressing yourself in writing and have, like, the energy to do it, 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 it's just so easy to misinterpret tone, you know? (laughs) When I when I get an email from someone and it doesn't have, like, a couple exclamation points in it, I'm like, 
are, are they mad at me? Did did I do something? Did, did they, they, they probably hate me, right? And then I have to be like, no, 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 Rebecca. You just expect people to be way too affirmative and use unnecessarily positive punctuation. You can see how uh, a miscommunication between like, uh, a client and their therapist could could easily happen on this platform. And I'm sure it often does happen on this platform. My name's Alana Romain. I'm uh, a news and features writer for the parenting website romper.com. So there I do a lot of writing about my own experience as a mom. I also write a lot about my mental health history sort of talking about the ups and downs of being a person who struggled a lot with depression in the past. And, you know, I'm married and I have young kids and, and that's something that a lot of moms also um, have to navigate. So Elena had spent years in in-person therapy for depression and other mental health stuff. The therapist that she was seeing in person, who she really loved, retired. And then she had kids. And then it was really hard for her to find another good therapist. Any parent knows that when you have infants, it's hard to get away and have some time for yourself. So I did try here and there to see someone, um, somebody else, try again with someone that I thought might work. And uh, I would do one session here, one session there, try somebody else. And it just didn't feel right, especially because now getting that time away is my time became so much yeah. more valuable. So it was like, I wow, I just spent, you know, $200 and an hour of my life that I can't get back, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I heard about online therapy, that seemed to be such a great solution to my specific problems, which was that I didn't have a lot of time. I didn't have, you know, the luxury of trying out different therapists and being flexible in that way. You know, with online therapy, I could do it on my own time. And I didn't have to necessarily sit down and carve out an hour to to kind of go to somebody's office and sit there and tell them all of the things. It was I really liked the idea that there could be a different way to do it. So um, she signed up for both BetterHelp and Talkspace, and she thought she would try both and then see which one was better and pick one to stick with. BetterHelp, I guess they got back to me first. So I thought, okay, let's give this a shot. And the woman I got was really nice and um, helpful. Although, you know, so much gets lost in just regular text conversations, even with friends or whatever. So I had gone in with a specific issue that I was going to talk about, which was this kind of, I'd had a fallout with a friend and it was really bothering me and I wanted to kind of work through it. And the first therapist I had through BetterHelp, she was great. And then she kind of, at one point she sent me a message and she had just said, and I think totally well-meaning, but she had said, yeah, you know, next time maybe think before you speak or think if that was something that needed to be said. Uh... I got the message and and I just, thought, oh, I absolutely should think before I speak, but I just felt so kind of sad because um, I that was what I was sensitive about, right? That I had opened my mouth and said something totally stupid and offensive. And um, in that moment, it felt like she was saying, yeah, you, 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 know, you totally screwed this one up, right? Um, yeah. And so I, you know, like, I kind of bristled at that a little bit. And um, by that point, I had also been matched through someone through Talkspace. And I thought, okay, you know, like, I'm just going to cut my losses here because I'm, I'm hurt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I went 
to the other therapist. Luck of the draw, she ended up being um, a little bit, uh, I don't know, um, softer. In more her empathetic, approach, which, like a little yeah, bit warmer. Yeah, she really, yeah, yeah. yeah, she really could um, help to reassure me with a lot of things that, you know, even though maybe I did screw up, my intention was still good. And, and just having those things recognize those sort of positive aspects, I found really helpful in validating Um, was she helpful for you? Did you feel like you were able to get out of the experience what you uh, were initially hoping for? Once I found a therapist that I felt I connected with, it was nice to know that she was sort of always there in my back pocket. I could reach out to her whenever I felt I needed to. And it was something I could, that I could just kind of make part of my daily life. I didn't have to necessarily go to therapy on Monday afternoon or something. It was a resource that I could always tap into. That was a really nice feeling. It kind of feels as though you have someone on your side. So, you know, when friends ask you, do you think I should try text-based therapy? Like, what do you, what do you tell them? Do you think there's a specific type of person or like a certain mental health needs that is most likely to benefit from the type of therapy that you, that you experienced? Yeah, for sure. I think that there are a few elements that come into play. I think it depends on your comfort level with being open. I'm a pretty open person. So Mm -hmm. in-person therapy works really well for me because I like just going and and word vomiting everything that I'm feeling inside. I have a lot of feelings. Um, I'm pretty sensitive. So that works for me. But I know that not everybody feels comfortable doing that. It is a really intimate experience to sit there with a person and say all these things and hope that they respond in the way you need them to. And, um, you know, so a text approach is a little bit less vulnerable, you know, and I think that it's a good entry level option for people who aren't quite sure about whether they would be okay with sharing all this stuff with a stranger. And it gives you a little bit more, um, you know, I guess protection almost. In that sense, it removes a barrier maybe for people who otherwise would balk at the idea of going to therapy. So doing it over text might open it up to people who, you know, maybe could benefit from it, but wouldn't necessarily go through with it in a, in a traditional way, which I think is really great. But I think it's important to, at least in my experience, I um, used it kind of prophylactically. So I was okay. I was at a point in my life where I didn't necessarily feel like I needed therapy. Um, I've definitely been there before where it was like, man, you have to get help because you're in a bad place. And from my own experience, having been there, I, it wouldn't be enough for me. If, if I were really struggling or feeling at risk of kind of going down that, Mm -hmm path where I know my brain can can go and things are starting to get dark and and really affecting me I don't think it would be enough to just be texting an abstract stranger in the internet world somewhere you know Um, because you can only get so much connection and uh, yeah I think that it's important if you are really struggling if there's something you know seriously going on or if you feel like you might be heading in that direction it's not going to be enough on its own, in my opinion. Hasu, the, the counselor for BetterHelp, agreed that more serious forms of mental illness might not be a great fit for text therapy. 
So anything that might require coordinated care with a medical doctor, um, that's a little bit difficult to manage in the online format. So for instance, we do see a lot of individuals that report having eating disorders, having a hard time with better help, or even just like online counseling in general, since a lot of times the treatment involved for eating disorders includes some kind of coordinated care with a nutritionist, a dietitian, a medical doctor, somebody to be monitoring their physiological state on top of the therapy that they might be going through or counseling that they're going through with a licensed professional. So those kinds of instances where clients are coming and they may benefit from having an in-person evaluation, those kinds of things are kind of more difficult on the platform also. I don't think online counseling can replace face-to-face services in a variety of situations. Online counseling is not adequate or appropriate for all situations, especially if you have any kind of imminent threat to yourself or to other people. It's really important that you get yourself into a higher level of care. If you're in crisis or in need of immediate support, online counseling is not going to be the best option for you. Um, So you may need to even contact your local emergency room or get yourself into some kind of crisis services if that's the case. Derek, the head of research and development at Talkspace, the guy who was in New Mexico when we talked, also mentioned during our conversation that there are certain folks who would be better off with a higher level of care. He specifically mentioned people with uh, severe psychosis, people with a history of self-harm or thoughts of suicide, and people with aggressive tendencies towards others. I want to bring in one last voice now. Her audio is a little broken up, so I apologize for that. But what she says is definitely worth sharing with you. I'm Helen Chalmers. I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. Helen used to work as a counselor for BetterHelp. She was working with them while she was still building her practice in Texas. And she ended up leaving BetterHelp after her practice was sort of solidified. Can we go through, basically, I want to talk about, based on your experiences, the clear advantages that you saw from text-based therapy and uh, and then some of the disadvantages? So one of the advantages, I think, is the client doesn't have to look you in the eye. Sometimes that's a little intimidating. I don't really want to tell you my deepest, darkest secrets when I have to look at you while I do that. And so that can be an advantage that you can just write it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's fairly anonymous. The client would know more about the counselor than the counselor would know about the client because counselor has a profile and the client can read about you. Okay. So uh, not necessarily having to uh, look someone in the face if you're talking about something that maybe is embarrassing or, or difficult for you to share. Any, what were some of the disadvantages which might not come up in uh, in-person therapy? I would say two major ones. One is that you miss out on all the nonverbal stuff. You can't see the person's body language or hear their tone of voice or see their facial expressions. And that all helps you to understand somebody better to um, see how what they're talking about is affecting them, if they're emotionally connected to it or if they're sort of disconnected. Um, And then the other is if someone is suicidal or has suicidal thoughts. In the office, I can have someone stay there. I mean, I have to legally, ethically keep them there until someone can come get them, like a a relative, a spouse, a friend, the police if necessary. 
over the computer. I don't even know your last name. I certainly don't have your address. I can't send the police to you. You can contact BetterHelp and tell them, hey, client so-and-so, first name in such-and-such state, told me this, and I think they might need help. And then they take it from there. Fortunately, I, I did not have that happen to me, but there were other counselors. There's a forum where counselors can ask questions and discuss things. And there were other counselors that did have to deal with that. When it comes to anonymity on, on both BetterHelp and, and Talkspace, with both platforms, you can sign up with a nickname. So you don't have to share your real name. Uh, you can use your real name if you want, but you don't have to. As Helen was referencing, they that's all they know about you in addition to like what you tell them. Although if you do sign up and a therapist asks for like uh, your name or address, that might be because in the U.S. at least, there are different requirements by state. So depending on the licensing laws in the state where your therapist was licensed, they might be required to know certain information about you. So they might be legally required to ask you certain questions. But again, that, that's only specific states. The other information that BetterHelp and Talkspace have about you is from your billing info. Uh, when you sign up, you have to give them your credit card information. So that also includes your name. All of that info is kept private, but you are asked by the platforms to provide emergency contact information. I asked Derek from Talkspace to explain what happens in the case of emergency. You know, if somebody messages their counselor and says that they're having thoughts of hurting themselves. So we have two approaches here. One happens at the level of the therapist and the other one happens at the level of the platform or Talkspace. So at the level of the therapist is trained therapists with licenses in their state, you know, if they were meeting with somebody face-to-face, they would know exactly how to handle the situation, who to refer the individual to, what the resources available are. Um, So a lot of therapists will handle that directly. At the level of the platform, we also provide resources directly to uh, the client themselves. So hotlines that they can call, there, there are really great services out there, you know, suicide and homicide hotlines. There's also the crisis texting uh, line where you can sort of speak with a counselor immediately 24-7. So we make those resources available. We also capture emergency contact information as a basic business process at Talkspace so that if we did have to say alert somebody close to the individual that there's something going on, uh, it would all be done, of course, in, in an appropriate clinical way. Um, but that contact does exist so that they can get the help if they need it. Um, and then lastly, one thing that um, I think this isn't just true of talk space. This is true of say text therapy and these kinds of uh, media in general is, um, you know, the ability for computers to analyze language has really improved. It doesn't require eyes to get into the room and review any confidential information at all, but we can sort of look for indicators that somebody's in crisis and that can trigger either a reach out from our customer service team, which tends to be available 24 seven, and it can send an alert to the therapist to let them know that there's something going on. And additionally, it knows to provide extra resources for the individual. So your therapist can encourage you to get a higher level of help. The platform can encourage you to get a higher level of help and share, you know, these hotline numbers with you, tell you to go to the emergency room, things like that. But it's clearly very different than dealing with a potentially suicidal person in person versus through a phone screen or computer screen. So I asked Dr. Toros, the Harvard professor who studies digital mental health, 
what his thoughts were on all this. And, and he took it to an interesting place. I did a project with a group of psychiatrists and lawyers at UCSF and Hastings Law School. And we began to look at, is there any legal precedence against kind of these types of apps and programs that offer therapy? Is there any kind of court cases pending through about harm coming from these things? And surprisingly, we found none in the mental health space right now. Part of mental health treatment is there's risk involved. Providers carry malpractice insurance, or certainly for a good reason, because like all of medical treatment, from surgery to psychiatry to psychology, there's risk involved. And it's interesting to see that right now, a lot of these programs, if you actually look at their terms and conditions, they'll tell you, you know, if you're actually in an emergency, if you actually need help, we're, we're saying by this kind of privacy policy or terms and conditions, we're not here for you. We're off the hook. Go seek help somewhere else. We're sorry we can't help you. And the question is, is that actually going to legally fly? Is that something that is ethical? Is that something that a reasonable consumer would expect by looking at kind of homepage of these services by using them? that actually may set the standard on which these things have to be judged. So I think in some ways there's a little bit of lack of clarity on kind of what is their real liability, what are the real services they have to be offering people if they're kind of claiming to offer treatment for medical conditions. So I imagine that, I said, we may start seeing some lawsuits crop up that would certainly change this whole industry, where I think perhaps they have to be a little bit more tempered the case that pops to mind is the brain training app, Lumosity, that I think in early 2016, the Federal Trade Commission went after them and said, you can't tell people using this app is going to reduce your risk of dementia or age-related brain changes. And Lumosity really had to change its advertising, its practice, its claims after that. So you can imagine that something like that, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that emerge sometime in the near future in this industry. I want to end with one more comment from Hisu, the, the clinician who works for BetterHelp. She says that the platform is working to make sure that if you aren't a good fit, you know, for some of the reasons that we mentioned before, that you won't get accepted as a patient. We're going to try to match you to the best of our ability, but we're also going to let you know if we feel that online counseling is not the best option for you. That comes from a place of wanting to make sure that people out there are getting the appropriate services for their needs. Um, in terms of improvements, I'd love to see all these online counseling companies become a place where counselors love to be also. It's not just about users, and that's just my own personal perspective, is the world of mental health, I think most counselors are already aware of this, is a lot of people out there are overworked, underpaid, underappreciated, and I want to be able to create an environment and a setting where counselors feel like the work that they're doing is meaningful and the company also appreciates them. That's, that's my hope, right? But we'll see what time will bring us. <laughs> that's our show for today. Our website is grouppodcast.com. If you want to learn more about the voices you heard on today's show, I'm including a link to Elena Romaine's full story about her experience with BetterHelp and Talkspace which she initially wrote for romper.com. Get in touch if you want to share your own experience with text therapy. You can email me at rebecca at grouppodcast.com or you can call our group voicemail, which is 
510-0270. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Acast or Stitcher or wherever you download your episodes. We also have a Facebook group. We have, we have a group, Facebook group. If you're interested in joining, it's where I basically post show updates and mental health stuff that I think is like interesting or funny. Music in this episode is by The Losers. We'll be back on April 1st. But in the meantime, be kind to yourself and your brain. Everything is going to be okay. You are the master of your universe, and yet you are dripping with rat blood and feces, your enormous mind literally vegetating by your own hand. I have no doubt that you would be bored senseless by therapy, the same way I'm bored when I brush my teeth and wipe my ass. Because the thing about repairing, maintaining, and cleaning is, it's not an adventure. There's no way to do it so wrong you might die. It's just work. And the bottom line is, some people are okay going to work, and some people... Well, some people would rather die. Each of us gets to choose.